Today, I have the pleasure of participating in something that only a few years ago would have been impossible, or something relegated to a science fiction story. Despite a distance of roughly 3,000 miles, I am able to technologically communicate with someone I know at essentially instantaneous speed, and in such a fashion that I can not only hear their voice, but see their face. Every word we say is engraved into what might be thought of as digital stone, creating a record as permanent as anything can be. I am speaking with Melissa Baker, an author, avid blogger, and spiritual practitioner who, after retiring from a position in the restaurant and hospitality industry, has devoted her energy to matters of the soul instead of the stomach. Taking up a role all but forgotten in the modern West, Melissa, in an almost shamanic fashion, finds her bliss through creating and leading rituals, meditations, and ceremonies for a grateful digital and in-person community. Today, I hope to discuss the power of ritual, the shared heart of community, and the creative process of meaning-making that comes through ceremony. I'm Dean Delp. Welcome to the Modernist Monastery and Episode 2 of Cloister Conversations. thank you for joining me. Thank you for inviting me, Dean. I'm very excited to have you. We come from very different backgrounds, not only uh, professionally, but also spiritually as well and intellectually. But there are things that we have a great love of that we share. And one of those things that I thought would be good to bring up as a conversation starter would be the ghost of this program, which is Carl Jung, who I feel like sort of exists in the the creaky foundational floor of, of this podcast and is quoted often, and his idea of archetype. So I was wondering if, if you could explain a little bit about how you understand the Jungian archetypes and, and why they're relevant to you and to me as well, I suppose. I came to know Jung's work more through the scholars who followed in his footsteps. And the one that really resonated with me in her explanations of bringing them into relationship uh, with my understanding of myself was Dr. Jean Shinoda Bolin, who has written, among other things, The Goddess in Every Woman. And that helps us to uh, understand the archetypes that we find within ourselves, the parts of ourselves that uh, are being expressed in ways that are bigger than ourselves and so using the the greek goddess archetypes Um, and so through her work i found resonance with uh, the artemis archetype who is an energy that i can step into if i need to find focus to uh, find a sense of groundedness to 
know that I am going to send my arrows flying towards an endeavor and have the faith that they will reach their target. Um, and then when I started walking with death as an end of life doula, I adopted the archetype of Persephone, not in her daughter of springtime role, but as goddess of the underworld, who goes there to create a safe and sacred space for the arrival of souls once they've left their earthly realm. So the way that I relate to the gift of archetypal understanding from Carl Jung is that we get to know ourselves better through understanding the different parts of ourselves that we can see a reflection of ourselves within these roles. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what I'll do is because the the language that you use to describe what you just talked about, I think for people who are of a similar persuasion to you, that's very intuitive language. I think there's lots of people who feel, you know, it's very common to hear people say that they are spiritual and not religious. And I think that those people will, will easily resonate with the language that you used. I think that for people that are more of a religious bent, especially if they come from an Abrahamic faith, a lot of those words are going to be a little alien. So the way that I would rephrase that for that audience is to say, especially if you, especially if you're Christian, is to say that in the Christian tradition, there's this idea of taking upon you the name of Christ, right? And essentially what that means is that you frame your life and your actions through his story. Right. And that's really what it means to be a Christian is to frame your life through the, the life of Christ, do as he did, say as he said, all of those things. And so that's really still the idea of archetype, right? The idea that you can take upon yourself voluntarily, whether it's the name of Christ or the the style of being, the the behavior patterns. Uh, the the strengths and weaknesses of any given character, whether that character is historical or fictional or, or mythical, when we frame our lives with the concept of a story, it can give us not only an identity, but like you said, it can help us understand ourselves better. You will go through different archetypes or different representations of yourself as you go through different situations. You know, to use one of the original ones of the magician, you're not the magician forever, right? Or the jester. You're not the, You're not going to be the jester forever, right? Eventually, your life will alter. So will you, and you will occupy a, a different a different space. Into the sort of main discussion I'd, I'd like to have with you today, which is about ritual, about ceremony, about doing that in a community, but also in your individual life and how we can, as, as humans, as people who are creatures of habit, endow and imbue those habits with a sense of larger meaning and purpose. So I would like to start by asking, how would you describe what it is that you do? It's easy to give a bunch of different labels for it and not really understand what it looks like on the ground. You have a very unique role, I think. I certainly don't know anyone else personally who does the kind of thing that you do in a structured fashion this way that's not part of a an overarching, you know, structured faith tradition. So if you'd like to talk about what it is you do, I think that would be very useful for the audience. Well, you're right. I'm not a minister. I didn't go to seminary. I did spend uh, the last 30 years of my life on my own spiritual journey um, because about, it was about that time that I was introduced to 
the art of ritual, um, which I refer to as sacred ceremony often because for uh, for the lay person, the only time they've ever heard the term ritual is followed by the word sacrifice. Yes, certainly. Yeah. <laughs> and in a horror movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, so sacred ceremony and ritual had just become a part of my life over these 30 years. And where I find myself now, all these years later, is to recognize that there is a need for either recognition or transformation or celebration or release, letting go, whatever that is in the life of members of my community, and then creating the opportunity for that to be held up, to be embraced, and to offer it whatever is it needs to create a sacred space of holding and honoring and relinquishing. Yeah, I think maybe you could you could summarize that by saying that what you do is for individuals and a collection of individuals that you craft, like you said, you know, you use the word space. I'll use the word maybe activity, right? Because whatever it is, you know, it is something that we're doing. It's an action. And mm-hmm. that you you help to create and craft actions, formal actions that create a space for people to have an outlet for what it is that they're feeling and help them move from whatever their current state of inhibition is into a state of expression um, where those things are either through catharsis, you know, if it's an emotional thing, or I, I think you would probably agree, even in just a gaining of a new understanding that can alter our perspective. And on the other side of ritual, that can still come. Like it, it, it can be the the work that you're doing in this sacred space that is utilizing symbolism, and you know you might use a a sword to symbolically cut a cord to something that's holding you in the past. Um, and so you might finish that ritual and feel like, okay, well, here I am. I don't feel any different in this moment, but your subconscious is still working that experience so that in the days and weeks ahead, you're finding that you really are transformed. Yeah. And I, I would say to the audience too, in that response that you know, most of you is unconscious, right? Quantitatively, most of you is unconscious. Now, I would say that the most important parts of you qualitatively are conscious, but quantitatively, most of you is going on underneath your own radar. And I, I think you're right in stating that the work that you do, and I think that's also why we do rituals in a repetitive fashion, right? There's so many times where we do this once per month, or we do it once every year on this day, is because we need reminders. We need uh, to remember. And something that's very interesting about the word remember uh, is that if you dismember something, you remove it, right? There's this connection that was there that's been destroyed it's been severed to remember as opposed to dismember is to renew that connection i think that's why we do a lot of these rituals is to remember whether it's our ancestors who also did these things or whether it's something much more like what you're doing with individual moving forward or or helping to understand our feelings and make progress spiritually or emotionally or intellectually helps us to remember those things that we've already learned because something that at least is very clear in Abrahamic scriptures that people tend to forget miracles. They forget very quickly. Uh, and I think rituals help us to remember. Very true. Very true. So my next question to you then would be, 
how would you describe the difference between a routine and a ritual or a ceremony, as you put it? Uh, it is absolutely about intention uh, and it is mindfulness. Everything that we do on a daily basis that is routine can be mundane. It can be just that. It's a routine. It's what we go through. It's brushing our teeth. It's making our coffee. But if we are intending to connect with the sacred in a mindful way that is bringing gratitude to your motion, then it can transform your day into something that is not mundane at all. I've used my coffee ritual as an example that when I do my pour over coffee each morning, it's not just turning on a coffee pot and letting the water uh, create this beverage for me. I'm actually pouring the water over my grounds with full intention and gratitude that I am grateful for the air that is my breath. I am grateful for the fire that is my spirit. I am grateful for the water that is my blood. I am grateful for the earth that is my bone. All of those things are recognizing that I am of the earth, that there's, I am grateful for the body that I have as much as I am for the body upon which I live. I'm grateful for the light of love that flows through me and surrounds me, which is my way of acknowledging this universal light energy that to some is called God and um, or spirit or great spirit in the Native American traditions. Or the um, Tao, if you're a Taoist. Yeah. Right. And so um, and then also the, that gratitude for uh, our ancestors who have come before us, who created this path for us and, and our loved ones beyond the veil. All of this is a part of my daily coffee <laughs> which mm. could could be boring otherwise but it's not it's sacred because yeah, of that I, intention i think you highlight something that's extremely important which is the gratitude aspect of it and i think that you know it's very clear behaviorally that when we are when we're grateful for something when we value it the way that we treat it changes and we do all sorts of funny things you know if i'm if i all of a sudden value this collection of small objects i suddenly put them in little glass boxes and i put them you know on velvet where people can see them but where they won't be touched you know we do all sorts of strange very ritualistic things and i will take it out and i'll polish it every now and then we do an event naturally ambiently organically all of these different things that we do for things we are grateful with and I think that you're completely right in stating that things we are grateful for, rituals and ceremonies and special treatment for those things that's formalized and then often becomes routine, these things naturally sprout around what we are grateful for. And we're grateful for the things we believe are of high value. If the law of attraction is anything that resonates for you, there's also that sense of when you're starting your day with gratitude, then there can just be more you know, you're, you're opening the door to more things for which to be grateful. Yeah. And I, I think to quote Carl Jung again, he used to say that God was often hidden from people because they didn't look low enough. And mm. I think that that's really the gratitude aspect too. And something that you're right about, you know, the coffee could be boring. It's not. And I think an easy way to do that for modern people, or at least it's something that's beneficial for me, especially with food, is when I have this thing in front of me, I like to think about before I eat it, do I deserve to eat this? And that's a strange question, right? Do I deserve to eat this? Now, of course, 
you deserve to eat, you deserve to be able to take care of yourself. That's not really what I'm asking. What I'm asking is the thing that I'm about to eat has come to me through a series of unambiguous miracles, right? Let's say that you have toast and butter. How did it get to you? There was a machine with a combustion engine that took fuel out of the ground and someone rolled across the country to bring this into a you know, a store where miracle technology that changes the temperature of the air was used to keep this product fresh, like immortalizing it. This, the, the level of insane innovation and technological miracle that goes into something as simple as the butter on my toast this morning, right? And how was this bread made? And who planted it? And where did it come from? And how many millions of dollars of you know negotiated trade was spent for the fertilizer to keep the bugs away from this? Whatever it is, mm-hmm. when you think about all of those different things that come together, and you're looking at this piece of toast in front of you, all of a sudden I go, man, I don't deserve to be eating this. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe rephrase that as, how lucky am I Indeed. to be eating this? <laughs> yeah, and suddenly at least for you know traditionally religious people i now have no difficulty in uttering a prayer of thanks to something mm-hmm. for the bread that's in front of me and that is a, that is a ritual that is a ceremony and I, I think you're very right to connect those those two things together mm-hmm. uh, if i could ask what was your first experience with a ritual or a ceremony that set you on this path in 1992 I went to a women's workshop that was about feminine spirituality with Margot Adler. And she was a writer and a correspondent from NPR and also the granddaughter of Alfred Adler. And um, she was so dynamic and uh, introducing us to chanting and ritual was a a big part of the the weekend. And there were 120 women there. And on that first morning, she asked us to gather into a circle and then asked for anyone who was feeling a sense of grief or uh, heartbreak or loss or depression or uh, or anything that they felt they needed support for. They were all asked to enter the center of the circle. And as I stood there, I recognized that there were not enough of us on the outside of the circle to be able to clasp hands. And that was really uh, eye-opening to me to see how many people were in suffering. She taught us a healing chant, which we sang over and over again. This was my first experience where I I felt something. And I know you see it, you know, people who are churchgoers or who have watched movies about (laughs) people in church have seen this ecstatic experience where, you know, you just are, are moved to tears by what you're experiencing. And this was my first experience that as we repeated this chant over and over again about healing, I could see that the women before me were in tears. And then I realized myself that I too was in tears uh, and it, it was unexpected. And um, when I had that depth of feeling that something had moved through me, that was when I thought, oh, there there might be something here for me. <laughs> mm, mm. You bring up, I was going to ask about this later, but we've, we've just got to it now by you mentioning this group. And I think that it's something worth mentioning is that I think especially in the West where we are highly individualistic, 
And I, I think that's a, you know, it's a good thing. I believe in individualism. I also believe in, you know, a community, right? And having a group of individuals that are, are bound in purpose. I think that one of the reasons why in the West we're so suspicious of groups is because it's easy to label groups and it's also easy to hit a mob mentality in a group, right? And everybody understands how dangerous a mob can be. And there is a degree to which when we involve ourselves in a group, whether that's a political group or a religious group, our better reasoning can sometimes be compromised. That's true. But there's an opposite side of that as well, which is that whatever the opposite of the mob mentality is in a group, I think it is akin to that kind of spiritual communion, right? Where you have a group of people together that are all united in this one experience. The experience just happens to be one of enlightenment instead of destruction. But that same human connection can form. And I think that's why people gather in groups, whether it's the small you know, communities, like the small community that's formed around you a little bit. Uh, or whether that's much larger international communities of believers that have these shared goals, I think that there is a a communitarian side of ritual that is available outside of the individual. I love that term communitarian, and I, I've never heard it before. <laughs> so I actually I actually use communitarian as opposed to collectivist. Uh, working in uh, as an individual definitely has its its perks, but to get to be a part of community and to commune with the spirit of, of multiple individuals with a, a, the endeavor of feeling loved and being loved and sharing love, there's nothing like it in the world. It's pure magic. You know, Aristotle used to say that uh, it's only a god or a beast who can live alone, and humans are neither. But for those of us that are individual, right, it, it can be hard to find a community where we feel like we belong. I think that's a very difficult thing for a lot of people. So for the many people that might be listening to this that are in an individual space, why don't we talk a little bit about how a ritual can be structured, right? How could you make a, a ritual or a ceremony in your own life, like the coffee grounds pouring that, that you do, that brings and invites this gratitude and it imbues the rest of your day with meaning because you understand the value of what it is you're doing? Is there a process or a formula or a mindset that you suggest people employ if they're interested in, you know, I'd like to have a ritual in my life. I'd like to turn something I'm already doing into something more meaningful, and I'm not ready yet to reach out to a community, or maybe a community is not available to them. I think that when I think about my own uh, rituals, first of all, you need to understand that uh, you can't do it wrong. I, I think when I was first studying and learning uh, on this path of which was started with some uh, learning about Wicca, but then led me into different cultures and different uh, traditions um, from which I've I've pulled various things that resonate with me. In the beginning, I felt hesitant to do anything, even alone, because I was afraid I would do it wrong. And so I would say that the first thing you should know is you can't do it wrong. <laughs> that uh, if you are not harming yourself or any other being, you are not doing it wrong. Um, and it is all, once again all about intention. And, and it can be as simple as closing your eyes, speaking aloud or in your mind, 
I am creating a sacred space. Um, I am I am coming over and lighting this candle, um, which brings me to my intention for the day that, that I am intending to um, be kind and I am intending to be generous. Um, they could be lighting some incense to change the energy in your space because it's, you know, scent affects our, the way our mind works. Yes, very much uh, so. And so it can be sitting down for a meditation that is recorded, um, or it could be one that is a, a guided visualization or just the sound of a bell and allowing your mind to empty and clear um, and then recognizing when things come through and letting them move on and just working with a simple intention if it's for, um, if you're job hunting, for example, um, and you wanted to bring into your life the career opportunity that is uh, will resonate with you, you might light a green candle and say to the universe, to you know, to God, the angels, however you're relating to this source that is beyond our understanding. Um, I would be grateful. I am grateful to be receiving the job opportunity that is going to mm -hmm. uh, be beneficial for me and my family and, and that I will bring benefit to that organization. Um, it's really all about intention and, and closure, Clo closing with, you know, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for what, what is coming my way. Mm -hmm. So something that I think I'll, I'll mention here that I think will be useful for people that are coming outside a religious or even a spiritual context that are probably maybe feeling, you know, just this language can be very alienating to them. And, and I, I, I completely understand. I'm going to reference something called the power pose. And the power pose is something you can look up, and there's been a lot of research done about it. But the power pose is essentially that when people stand up or sit up straight with their shoulders back, and you know, sort of their chin is up, and they they do this very full, very assertive posture. You just have them sit there like that, or stand there like that. And what happens is is that even people who think that what they're doing is silly and don't think it's going to work is over a period of long enough, the results are very clear that those people actually exhibit higher levels of of healthy assertiveness. They actually exhibit higher levels of confidence. It's a very well documented phenomenon. The placebo effect is is another example, right? Of just or in other words, I mean, you can call it the placebo effect. I will call it faith, right? Um, the, they're the same. They're the same thing in that context. But both of those things serve as examples of that, regardless of whether you're a spiritual person or not, or, or you're religious. That things like the power pose are not limited to the power pose, right? Saying the thing over and over again, whether that's uh, you know affirmations or something that's very popular right now that people do. I think people benefit from those. I'm not one of them. That's not something that works for me, but it does. It clearly does for other people. And so I, I think that I would say to a more secular audience, there's clearly an effect that's happening here, and you don't have to believe in some kind of, of supernatural or extra rational thing to observe the real benefits of doing something like that. You know, like you said about, there's no way you're going to get it wrong. Right. And what I think for coming from be, being raised Unitarian agnostic and really being a skeptical believer myself, that I just challenge anybody to, to just try it. I have the blessing of multiple circles um, and a really important one started back in the beginning of my journey and when we talk about 
uh, ritual. We we started out all on the same page. We were uh, there were a dozen of us that were on the same spiritual journey, coming from not knowing much at all to learning more about meditation and mindfulness and uh, and ritual, and we're all on the same level. So we grew up together, so to speak, on that spiritual path, experiencing ritual together and writing and creating them together. Um, and so that was a really important part, forming that tribe of loved ones who have all moved away now, but we are still deeply connected. Um, those deep connections are because of those years where we met every week and either celebrated that someone was about to give birth and we wanted to have a blessing for the baby or that we wanted to celebrate that that the child was now a year and 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 bless it through its journey forward um all of those experiences deepened our sense of community. And since they've moved away, I've had more community. Um, most recently, right before, the year before the pandemic, I started doing workshops that were utilizing meditation and ritual. And it was really a way for me while I was taking care of my father, whose health was declining, to also connect with a part of myself that was needing expression and so and it gave me a place I was writing meditations and I didn't really have anything to do with them and so um, this gave me a space to share them and take people on a journey I can't express enough how deeply bonding the art of ritual can be in a community certainly and you know even on a, a friendship side of things right these people are your friends and we get together with our friends to do things and uh, I think part of it is, again, just we've there's a perspective that once was much more common that I think has faded over time as we've become more secular and gained other things as a result. But one of the things that I think has 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 faded or been lost is that that spiritual sense that we used to imbue everything with right of, you know, I don't think most people don't think about when you get together, I'm getting together with my friends to go see a movie and eat some popcorn, that that's somehow a ritual. I would suggest that it is the definition of that thing, right? I mean, you are going like the Greeks of old to an amphitheater to see a story of heroes and villains or a comedy or a tragedy play out. And you're there to feel those things. And you've come with your friends. Nothing has changed, <laughs> right? That's the right. only the only difference are the names of the gods that are on stage, right? But <laughs> you know, nothing else has really changed. And the technology that presents them, yes. <laughs> yes, certainly. Although even, you know, like the messages being presented you know, all the same, all the same. And even sometimes the characters are the same, right? I mean, look at large and commercially successful as you know, the recent Marvel films, Thor and Loki are actual characters, right? You know, these, <laughs> they're right. literally just the, the Norse gods and, and actually using that as a, as a transition for people who want to make this a part of their life they want to dip a toe into this space of well maybe maybe i do want to turn my shower that i do every day and don't think about into a cleansing ritual where you know i'm going to think about the fact that i'm cleaning my body and cleaning my mind right letting things go from the day or maybe you're a shower person in the morning and so you're cleaning yourself and getting ready to go into the day whatever it is when you, if you wanted to dip a toe into this and start turning some of your routines into rituals 
start turning your habits into something more ceremonial. You're probably going to be inspired by some kind of tradition or some kind of culture. If you're, you know, of European descent, maybe that's going to be something Celtic. If you're here in the States, you know, maybe you're inspired by the Native American traditions. I think something that we are very uh, worried about, and you know, for good reason, uh, in in the West, is not not being parasites on a culture that is not necessarily our own by birth. And I think that some people will be a little nervous when they go to make a ritual for themselves of borrowing from a tradition that they're inspired by if that tradition is not theirs by uh, biological heritage. What would you say to, to that in terms of people who have that concern or they want to start putting these rituals into their lives but are worried about walking that tightrope? I think cultural appropriation is definitely an important part of our conversation right now. Um, but in the sense of honoring a path, the, I, I don't know, I kind of, this may be too simplistic. What I can imagine if you had a conversation with the ascended masters of any of these um, ancient traditions um, would be that they would say, by all means, honor, honor us, honor this, honor our memory, honor these traditions um, respectfully and in a way that serves you. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm certain there will be those who argue with that, but I, it would be hard to imagine that if you're, if you're facing your own spiritual path with a sense of reverence and gratitude and um, at, at, with, with a hope for healing and peace, uh, for yourself or others, for whatever, um, I I can't imagine that it could be a bad thing. I, I agree, and I think the word that you use there of of honor is is really an important one, right? Of that that's if what you're approaching is from a position of honor, right? You know, I am I want to adapt this for my own private life because this is something I find inspiring. You know, as long as we're not trying to pass ourselves off as, you know, authorized representatives of that group or culture, you know, I, I, I agree entirely. And so understanding how you can begin to apply these things. My final question for you would be, if you want to start making rituals, if you want to start doing these things, what are some practical tips that you might give to someone of saying, here's a great, if you're, if you're after something that does X, this is a great place to look for that. Or if you're wanting a ritual that doesn't involve any buying anything or doesn't use candles or any other, you know, thing, you know, what are some non-physical things that, that you can do? Just some beginner's tips for people that are trying to dip a toe in the water. Yeah, I, I think that if you were interested in a certain path, you could certainly find books on it. And that was how I started was uh, there were not very many books available back in the early 90s, although it's vast right now. If you were on the feminine spirituality path for sure, which is what I've followed. Um, but I would say that you don't, if you have no concept of how to begin, then certainly picking up a book and, you know, seeing what resonates with you is a good place to start. And that was how we started. We would look up a, a you know, if we wanted to celebrate the spring equinox, then we would look up a ritual someone else had done in the past. And we would use those invitations to the elements and, you know, to a specific goddess or whatever in our ritual. And we would set the altar the way that that person who wrote a book about it did. But 
none of that is necessary. And it might take you a while to find your own confidence and courage to believe in yourself and what what your spirit is asking for. Um, but that's what I would encourage is to always follow what resonates with you. You can um, uh, pick up a book and and read about a ritual that's there and think, oh, I really don't like that. But how does what if I were to create my own, what would that sound like? I think that there's nothing more powerful than using your own words and using your own tools. You don't have to have a green candle to, you know, to, to call in that career path for you. It can be, it can be whatever that is for you. It can be so simple. Yeah, ritual doesn't have to be complicated and you don't have to have a wand and you don't have to have, a, you know, a sword and you don't have to have anything at all because you, you, you yourself are sacred. Mindfulness, I think, is really the key. Mindfulness, intention, Perfect. and grat gratitude. Yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you for doing this interview with me. Um, you are the, I suppose, blogger of Be The Light, B-E-E. -E. And also, you are the author of a book, which is called Persephone's Passage, which I believe is available on Amazon. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes. Oh. So my, the blog is um, definitely is a journey through some of this uh, conversation that we've had. Um, and it is uh, the book is a memorial to my father, um, whom I had the great honor of walking through the end of his life as his end of life doula. And in the back of that book, there are also rituals um, that I've created for going to greet your loved one um, who is there to, to meet you on the other side of the veil. So, um, and then a ritual for what I hope the end of my life will look like. Yeah. Well, perfect. So anyone who wants to hear more from you, those are two available resources to get more of that insight. Thank you so much uh, for joining me on this. It's been a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Dean. It's such a pleasure to be in deep conversation with you. Thank you. I'm Dean Delp, and this has been a conversation with Melissa Baker as part of Cloister Conversations on the Modernist Monastery.